right. Well, good morning, church. Everybody doing good? All right. Woohoo! I like it. Well, let me tell you, I just want to say thank you to you guys as a church uh, for showing up yesterday. Yesterday we had an incredible day. This is a great church. I'm just telling you, man, great church. We had over 130 people show up, you know, in the Prattville and Millbrook area to help pick up trash and litter. And I just want to tell you guys, you made a difference. We drove around yesterday. Um, afterwards, just looking, you could tell where we had been and where we had not been. Let me, let me be clear about that. So there's still plenty of places to pick up trash, but just to have that many people give up a Saturday morning on a beautiful Saturday morning and go serve the community and bless the community and give back, I just want to say thank you to you guys, man. Y'all are awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for what you did. We are kicking off a new series today called Found, and, uh, and, and the thing about Found, you know, something has to be what? Lost, right? So we're going to kind of be unpacking over the next three weeks a couple of parables that Jesus is teaching about something being lost. And then what does it mean to be found? And so as we move through these parables, there are going to be some things I think that all of us can can draw from and learn from. And this one today is Jesus and the parable of the lost sheep. Now, many of you guys may be familiar with this this parable and the story that Jesus tells, but it kind of gives really the backbone behind his, his mission. Why was Jesus here? And so for all of us, I feel like it's a great opportunity, a great time for us to maybe to reflect back and see, you know, help me to kind of come center, center focus again on what really matters. Uh, many of you guys may, maybe grew up with a song, Amazing Grace, where it says, I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You better remember that one. That's a, that's a great old hymn. And, you know, and that, that line in there was somebody whose life had been radically changed and impacted. And hopefully most of you in this room, if not all of you have, have already had an experience with Christ, but there may be some of you that have never had a real encounter with Christ. And so we want to unpack that today, and we want to look at this passage here, and, and I think it will help us. But let's uh, talk about what a parable is. What is a parable? You know, because a lot of times we, we, we go, what is a parable? What does that mean? That sounds kind of churchy. It's really not. It says at a basic level, a parable is a short story designed to convey a concept to be understood and or a principle to be put into practice. So Jesus was this incredible storyteller. Now, when we were little, you know, you would say, uh, you told a story. That meant you were lying. Well, Jesus wasn't a liar. He was just an incredible storyteller, right? He was an incredible storyteller. And so Jesus would use these stories to to be a a word picture, if you will. And, And so for me, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I read something, I envision what it looks like. Whenever Jesus is, you know, telling a story or whatever, I kind of envision what that's like. And that's what people would do. They would hear these stories and he would tell a story about something that they could relate to, whether it was a farmer, you know, they would be able to relate to that or sheep or whatever. They would be able to understand where he was going. And so it's an illustration or a story or a word picture, if you will, that helps us to understand, like I said, the, the principle or the concept that we're to put into practice. And so let's move on. So the parable of the lost sheep. So here Jesus is, uh, is setting this up. And this is in Luke chapter 15. If you want to follow along in your Bibles or if you want to follow along with version or the, uh, the online app, you can do that. But it talks about tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's a positive. You know, you would think it's a positive, right? You would think that, you know, they would be excited about, you know, lost people, if you would, or sinners or notorious sinners showing up to hear good news. And, uh, but that's not what was happening. And, and so we see this here. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. You know, and they're, they're excited about this. They're going, you know what? Hey, listen, this guy has a message of hope. And so as they hear this message of hope, they're moved, they're stirred, and oftentimes their lives were changed 
They're weighing it out. They're hearing it. And there may be some of you that you're here today and you're hearing the gospel for the first time. I pray that maybe you will go, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And so I think knowing this church and the fact that they care about picking up trash, they care about making a difference in the community, they're going to care about where people's souls are going to be when it comes to eternity. And so as you hear that message, hopefully you'll respond. But this is what I love. So they were coming to hear Jesus teach. They liked what he had to say. But the religious people had a little bit of an issue with that. And so let's look here. It says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Can you believe that? He's having a meal with them. You know, he's having a, a conversation with them over a meal. He's talking to them. He's spending time with them. And so the religious people, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, really were put back by this. They were, they were like, man, this is not the way it should be. And oftentimes it can become that way. We get to the point of where we, we want to disassociate with people because they are living not the way that we think they should live. Or we want to kind of disassociate with people and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. But the thing is, is we've got to be willing to go out to where they are. Not to do what they do, but to reach them. Yesterday we showed up to go out and make a difference in the community. And like I said, it was a very visible difference. You can tell where we've been and where we have it very clearly. And you can see the impact. And so here's the thing. It should be that way also spiritually. Not just the physical things we do, but the spiritual things that we do. And yesterday was a great opportunity for us to get into a conversation with someone. Because there were people that were stopping and going, Hey, man, what are you guys doing? And how do we join your group? You know, and uh, there were people like, Well, you, do, you can go to myjourneychurch.com or you can go to lovetheriverregion.com. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, the way you really get to be a part of this group is by putting your faith in Christ. You know what I'm saying? It is a great opportunity to share the gospel. So why would we do that? Is it just pick up trash? No, it's to build bridges and to open up doors so that we get to really talk about what matters most. And so as we look back here, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associated with such sinful people, even eating with them. And let me just tell you, there's oftentimes in the church when we become self-righteous, and we begin to distance ourselves from people that we're supposed to be reaching. And this whole story, and I, actually there's three parables. This is the parable of the lost sheep. Then we'll talk about the lost coin and then the prodigal son. And Jesus is building this. He's laying this foundation. I want you to understand, this is Jesus' teaching. This is his parable. And so as we begin to look at this, you might say, well, why is that in the Bible? We're going to look at that. We're going to unpack why is this so important? Why is this so central to the message of the gospel? And why is it important for us to really care about a lost sheep? And, and so the more that we begin to understand the heart of God, the more that we're going to care about the people that are out there. Some of them notorious sinners, some of them tax collectors, whatever. You know, but the thing is, is we begin to see them the way that God sees them. And as God begins to change how we see them and how we think about them, and even how we think about sin, it will begin to change who we are. And we'll, we'll see this as we unpack it. So the Jewish culture was a shame-honor-driven society. So, you know, there's, there's some of us in here that maybe you kind of grew up that way I did. It was kind of a, you know, I wasn't, uh, I, I, I had some issues growing up. It was just insecurity, so I always want to try to find something wrong with somebody. If I could find something wrong with you, it made me feel better about myself. That's jacked up, and I know. And there may be some of you, you're still living that life, and you're still living in a lie. Satan has fed you a lot. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God intended for you to live. And so oftentimes we're trying to find something wrong with somebody else. We're always trying to pick them apart. And if we can find something wrong with them, it makes us feel better about ourselves. That is really messed up. 
And, uh, and I'm just telling you, that's how I grew up because it was insecurities. You know, it was, it was pride and insecurity is pride, by the way. And but so it was a prideful way of, hey, I got to find something wrong with somebody else. And really, oftentimes that's what this culture would do. Hey, let me find something wrong with somebody else. Let me point out what they're doing wrong so that I can shame them. And then if I can line up with whatever the teaching might be or I can follow all the rules, then I will honor myself. It's become almost like a a self-righteous, if you will, or self-honoring mentality. And that's what Jesus is addressing. And so this whole culture had kind of come to shame-honor-driven society. Jesus wasn't there to shame them, but to save them. That changed everything. And understand, so these, these lost people, if you would, these, these, these sinful people, these notorious sinners were literally, they were drawn to Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say because everybody else had put them down and had pointed out everything that they did wrong and wouldn't even have anything to do with them. They were disgusted with them. But Jesus is eating with them. He's spending time with them. He cared about them. You know, and so whenever we look at this, we realize, you know, that now, Jesus was different. It wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship. I mean, they're having a meal together. They're talking together. They're sharing what they are feeling or what they're wrestling with or what their, you know, their issues might be. And Jesus is sitting down over a meal with them and having a relationship. But the religious people, it was all about shame. You know, honor myself, but shame you. And, and so the thing is, is it's based on seeking honor for self. And so Jesus came not to shame them, but to save them. This is something we have to be careful about. Religion and culture can cause us to miss God. You might, you might think, well, I can understand culture. I can understand the world causing me to miss God. Because over and over we're told in Scripture, hey, do, listen, don't be focused on the world. Don't be chasing after the world. Don't let that be what drives you. You know, and if you do, you're really an enemy of God. So it's easy to kind of get our mind around culture. And we say, hey, I get that the world or culture would do that. But how can religion do it? Because religion can cause us to miss God. You know, and if we look back, you've got people that had studied and prepared for years and years and years to find and to see and to identify the Messiah, the promised one. Hey, who was going to be the savior of the nation of Israel? Who was going to be the, the conquering king, if you will? And so they had studied the scriptures. They knew this. And so they were very religious. And man, they missed the Messiah. They missed the promised one. They missed the one that would save man you know, from himself, that would save us from our sins. They missed him. And so religion is one of those things we have to be really careful about. You know, Because we can let religion get in the way of a relationship with God. And we say, well, Mike, I go to church. Mike, I read my Bible. You know, and, and, and so here's one of the things we have to be careful about. Is those things replace the relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so for, for many of us, we grow up going to church. I tell people all the time... You know, uh, I hear people say this, man, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I'm like, man, there's no such animal. It just doesn't work that way. You don't say, I mean, there comes a point where there has to be salvation. You may have been raised in church, but you're just religious if that's all you have. And so religion can cause us and culture can cause us to to miss God and to miss his his mission, miss the message that Jesus is giving us here. So Jesus told them the story. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? And so again, remember, he's, he's telling a story that these people can relate to. So in that day, there would be sheep all over the place, goats all over the place. Livestock was kind of a common thing. Farming and seed and, you know, sowing and reaping, that was something that they were used to. 
And so he would say, hey, man, you know, you know, the word of God is like, you know, seed that a man sows, you know, whatever. And, and he would just, and they would go, oh, I get it. And so with this one, they go, you know, I mean, a, a guy loses a sheep. You know, what will he do? You know, they're asking, he's asking this question. Of course, they're going, I know, I know, I know what he would do. You know, they've got an answer. And so he, he's, he's telling a story that they can relate to. And so if one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And, you know, there's some of them going like, yep, that, yep, that's what he would do. I mean, that's exactly what he would do. And so they were able to relate to the story. And I don't know about you guys, but, uh, you know, I live, in a, I live in a subdivision that has a homeowner's association. Anybody have a homeowner's association? Y'all like those? Y'all love those? All right. I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, there are times when the homeowner's association can get on your nerves, but there's also times when it's a good thing. And so our, our homeowners association has a Facebook page set up, and literally there's, you know, there's, hey, there's a strange-looking car in the neighborhood, or you know, whatever it might be, and they're always trying to help out with information. They're sharing information, and uh, they really care about their pets big time. I'm talking about, like, I love Sadie, my dog, but I'm talking about these folks really love their dogs and their cats and stuff. And anyway, so they will share stuff on there and information on there. And, uh, hey, have you, I've lost my dog, and, you know, they're posting it on there, and everybody's kind of keeping an eye out. Or they'll find a dog. And they'll say, hey, listen, we found this pet or whatever. Does this belong to anybody? And, and they communicate that information. It's kind of a, a, a big deal. They even set up a page on there where you can have a picture of your dog, and it'll be identified with you if it gets lost. Everybody knows it's your dog. And I'm like, man, they're serious about these dogs and stuff. And, and so kind of like this, they, these people understand, hey, if you lose an animal, it's a big deal. So a couple of years ago, I had a, had a family in, the, in our neighborhood that had lost their dog. I, I saw my neighbor, and he said, hey, man, he said, uh, you know whose dog this is? I was like, no, I don't. He said, well, um, he said, I don't know who it belongs to, he said, but it was walking in circles, whatever. And he said, it was over here in the woods in this ditch. And he said, so I, I, I can't find who, out who it belongs to. He said, I've got to get to work. He said, so I'm just either going to have to take it to the pound. I said, well, I'll take it. I said, I'll take it home, and I'll post it and see if anybody can identify it. Anyway, so I did that. And it wasn't long just, you know, somebody you know, contacted me and said, hey, listen, that's our dog. Thank you so much or whatever. And so I took it to their house. And when I pull up, their daughter comes out. And literally, she grabs that dog. And she is weeping. She's crying. And, uh, and the dog, man, I mean, the dog was old. I'm talking about, you know, like it was walking in circles. I mean, it was blind. I didn't know it. But I was like, man, this dog looks like it's almost dead already, you know. And, uh, anyway, and so anyway... Uh, she gets it. She's crying. She goes up to the thing, and the dad walks out. And he said, man, thank you so much. He said, we've been devastated because this dog's been part of our family for however many years. And, you know, it's blind, and she had let him out to go to the restroom. And anyway, it was just it gotten lost, and she just knew something had got it, maybe a coyote or something like that. And I said, well, I'm glad I was able to help you guys. But the thing is, is they would understand this concept. They would understand this concept. They were celebrating. They were excited. They, they were overjoyed. And, and, and oftentimes we, we do that, you know, we find something that's been lost, you know. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, as a kid, have you ever been lost in a, in a store or anything like that? I, I can remember as a kid, you know, we didn't have Walmart, so we didn't have super centers and all that kind of stuff, but we had Kmart, you know what I'm saying? And uh, we had Gaylords and Roses and stuff like that, Blue Light Special stuff. And I can remember being in some of those stores and, you know, you would just get lost. And all of a sudden your mom and dad, where, where'd they go, you know? And, and you're scared, you're afraid. And so... Maybe you've been on the receiving end or you've been on that end where you've been lost and you realize, man, I don't, I don't know how to find them. And, you know, and you're afraid and you don't know what to do. Well, this is what it's talking about spiritually. You know, that was physically you may have been, emotionally. 
But spiritually, Jesus said, man, there are lost people. And some of them are afraid. Some of them don't know whenever they lay their head down on their pillow at night where they're going to spend eternity. You know, if I breathe my last today, where will I go? So therefore, they're spiritually lost. And so Jesus is teaching the story here to help these people understand, and especially the religious people to understand how much God cares about the one that is lost. And so he's teaching the story of this parable, and they're, 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 they're beginning to get it. He says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. You know, and what, what we picture there is, is the guy finds this little lamb, or he finds it, and he literally puts it over his shoulders, and he's coming home, and he's smiling. Hey, hey guys, I found him. He, you know, he's home. He, he's good. You know, I got him home, you know. And I think back to that girl with that little dog just holding it and weeping and crying. Man, she is moved over her little dog. And so here Jesus is saying, listen, man, this guy's going to be excited. You know, he's going to have found this lamb. It says when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus is saying, guys, this is a big deal. And everybody there understands, go, man, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it, Jesus. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and turns to God, returns to God, than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What a great reminder for the church. God cares about the one. He cares about the least of these. You know, when Jesus said, hey, what you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. He was reminding us, hey, guys, it's about going after the lost. And too often churches kind of get to the point where, hey, listen, let's just kind of stay in the, the fold, if you will. Let's just kind of do the holy huddle. And let's not, let's just have a good time. And we forget that we, are, we have a mission. The religious leaders were kind of good with, hey, their position of honor that they had established and of shaming those who were not living like they were. But Jesus said, that's not what it's about, guys. All of heaven rejoices if one calls on Christ to be saved, if one is saved, if one repents. I mean, think about that. We get excited over a dog being found. We get excited over a sheep being found. It says that all of heaven rejoices if one puts their faith in Christ, if one lost soul is saved. The good shepherd was willing to leave the 99 sheep in the fold to go in search of the one lost lamb. That's how important it was. He was willing to leave the 99. They're good. He's willing to leave them to go find the one that was lost. You know, to be willing to go after them. And, and I was telling uh, someone yesterday, we were, we were picking up, and there's an old story, uh, illustration, where, you know, some people were saying, hey, you know, you pick up all that trash, somebody's just going to throw it out again tomorrow. I said, hey, we made a difference for a day. We made a difference for maybe two days. Maybe some of the people that picked up trash will go, you know what? I'm not throwing out trash anymore. I see what it does. I'm not going to do that. And so maybe for, for, for somebody it will make a difference. Maybe it will make a difference in somebody's life as far as conviction or whatever. And I was telling the story that about a guy who went on the beach one, one morning and there was all these starfish everywhere, all over the beach, thousands of them. And anyway, he sees this guy down on the beach and he's throwing these starfish back into the, uh, into the uh, ocean and the guy walks up and he goes, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to save, save these starfish. He said, I'm throwing them back. He goes, dude, if you, there's thousands of them. You really think that's going to make a difference? He goes, it did to that one. Picks up another. He goes, it did to that one. You know, and it's kind of having that mentality. Hey, let's do something. Let's make a difference somewhere, somehow. But the good shepherd was willing to leave the 99 sheep in the fold to go in search of the one lost lamb. 
Jesus is that good, that, that, uh, good shepherd. And so when we look here in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God said, you know what? They're lost. They, they can't find their way. They need someone to go and tell them. And so Jesus brought the good news, the gospel. Jesus went and began to tell them. And he would use stories like seed falling on hard ground or good ground. He would use stories like a, like a sheep being lost or a coin being lost or a son wandering away. And so we see that and we go, you know what? Jesus went after the lost. He, he, he came after us. That's all of us. And so without Jesus, our good shepherd, we are spiritually lost and unable to find our own way. You know, when I was lost in that, church, in that, that store or whatever it might have been, I didn't know how to find my way. If I knew how to find my way, I wasn't what? I wasn't lost, right? But so many people are, they're lost and they don't know how to find their way to God. There's some, there's some that would say, hey man, I want to be in right standing with God. I want to know where I'm going to go when I breathe my last. I want to know that I am a child of God. I want to know that I'm part of the family of God. I want to know that I'm part of the church. I want to know these things. And so they want to know, but they don't know. And so there may be a desire there, but man, they can't figure it out. And here's the thing, none of us could get there without Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so Jesus made it very clear, hey, listen, we're all in need of a Savior, all of us. And so we're spiritually lost. We're separated from God. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have, we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. We go back, that's a prophecy about Christ coming, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, coming and literally paying for the sins of of, of, the, of the world. And so when I look back at that passage and I realize, you know, we've all gone our own way. We often think, hey, well, you know, I can do it. I'll just be better. I'll be good enough. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll read my Bible. You know, I, I'll do whatever it takes, but I will do it. I'll make it happen. I'll quit doing this. I'll start doing that. And we make, we, we make believe, we think that, you know what, I can make this happen. And none of us can. We've, we're all lost and we're all in need of a Savior. And so when we look back at that passage and we realize, man, we have gone our own way. We've left God's path to follow our own. We've blown it. To repent in relation to salvation is to change your mind regarding sin and Jesus Christ. So to repent, you know, that, that sounds like an old term. Like, hey, man, that's an old fire and brimstone type word. No, repent is scriptural. And it's what we see in these, in these passages. But to repent in relation to salvation is to change the way that I think about my sin or think, change the way I think about Christ. You know, a lot of times what we do is we, we have a mentality towards sin. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll say, well, you know, um, that's sin, that's wrong, and, um, you know, I don't need to be doing that. But the reason I don't want to do that is because I don't want to get caught. Not, hey, that's sin, and God hates sin. And God despises sin, so therefore, I don't see it that way. I just don't want anybody to catch me sinning. I don't want it to get me in trouble. And so there's a different kind of sin. We're going to look at that, or a different way of looking at it. We have a sorrow in one way, and God has a sorrow that he looks at it through different, a different set of eyes. And so to repent in relation to salvation is change your mind regarding sin. So in other words, we're not, we're not going to just say, hey, I'm, going to, I'm going to justify my sin, because that's what a lot of us do. We try to justify our sin. We'll say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, or, you know, we begin to justify it. And we say, well, everybody else is doing this. And so we justify our sin. But what the Bible says that we're to literally to hate sin is God hates sin. We're to say, you know what, man, I don't even want to get close to it. But what we have a tendency to do 
And oftentimes what we do is we say, hey, well, listen, how close can I get to that sin without it getting on me? How close can I get to the edge without crossing the line? And what we do is we want to see how close we can get and still fit in, still be part of the culture, still be part of whatever, but not sin. And so our question is never, God, you know, how do you see things? But it's often say, hey, is this sin so that I can get there, so I can get close to it? And instead, what we ought to do is say, hey, listen, God, if you call that sin, then I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to move away from it, and I'm going to avoid it like the plague. So we've got to be able to say, God, help me to see sin and, and, and literally think about sin the way that you think about it. And then here's the other one, how we think about Christ. You know, let me just tell you, I grew up believing in Jesus. You, it goes back to what I said a while ago. See, there's no such thing as someone who's been a Christian their whole life. I grew up believing in believing about Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I did. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he was resurrected. I believe those things. I, I believe a lot of things about Jesus, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, I didn't have a relationship with him, you know, I, but I believed those things about him. When, when people would ask me, did I believe the Bible? I'd be like, yeah, I believe it, but it didn't affect me. It didn't change me. And it didn't change the way that I thought about sin. And it really didn't change the way I thought about Jesus, to be honest with you. I just, I, I believed things about him. I just didn't believe in him. I didn't have a relationship with him. So let's look at this. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So God wants us to experience some sorrow. I know some people think, well, hey, when you get, when you get saved, it's all joy from that point forward. Well, here, God says he wants us to experience some type of sorrow. There's times when we go through sorrow that it's a good thing for us. God is using those moments in our life. He's using those as teaching moments. And at times to rebuke us and to convict us and to bring about change. So for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation, right? So in other words, we're broken over our sin. Not we're sorry we got caught. We're broken over our sin. And we're broken to the point that, you know what, we go to God and say, God, I'm broken over it. God desires a broken and contrite spirit. And so we're broken over our sin. Look at this next part. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. In other words, hey, no law against that. that. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. We ought to feel that. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Remember, we talked about being spiritually, uh, spiritually lost. Look what it says here. But worldly sorrow, which, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. If there's no repentance, if we're not broken, if we're not sorrow, godly sorrow over our sin... And we're just kind of sorry that we got caught. We're, you know, we, we, you know, it's like, like a kid comes in, you know, they do something and say, hey, well, I'm sorry. Well, dude, sorry ain't enough right now. Y'all ever say that to your kids? Like, hey, listen, there needs to be some remorse. There needs to be some action. There needs to be some change. There needs to be some attitude change or something. But you cannot just come in here and say, hey, I'm sorry. That's the worldly type of sorrow. But when there's brokenness and repentance, man, you're moved in a direction towards righteousness and holiness and so we should be sorrow, sorrowful over our sin. That's, that's changing the way we look at it. We're not sorry we got caught. We're sorry that we have grieved a holy God. The, what, this, this is out of a devotion. Many of you guys may have read my utmost for his highest uh, through the years. This has been around forever in college. This was one of my devotions. And this is the one from December the 7th. And listen to what it says. I love what it says. It says, The wonders of conviction of sin... Forgiveness and holiness are so interwoven that it is only the forgiven person who is truly holy. In other words, we can be religious and not be holy. But it's the person who has dealt with the conviction of sin, 
forgiveness that only comes through Christ, through faith in Christ, and holiness are so interwoven that it's only the forgiven person who is truly holy. Let's keep reading. He proves he is forgiven by being the opposite of what he was previously by the grace of God. In other words, there ought to be some change in our life and some change in how we live that we're not the same old guy we've always been. We get saved, but there's never any change. This is pretty clear. That's not good evidence. But there ought to be, so people ought to be able to look at us and go, man, she's not the same person anymore. He's not the same person anymore. They have died to the old way of thinking. They have died to the old way of living. When someone goes through the waters of baptism, we say, hey, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. And there ought to be that change, that radical change to where everybody goes, man, he's not the same anymore. But if you're the same old guy you've always been, you know, maybe you're just religious. Maybe you, you just got a little Jesus sprinkled on. You just got enough for people to go, well, hey, I think you're a Christian. Man, he goes to church. That's not the way we measure it. That's not the way Scripture measures it. We may think that, but that's not the way uh, Scripture does it. He proves he is forgiven by being the opposite of what he was previously by the grace of God. And look at this. Repentance always brings a person to the point of saying, I have sinned. Repentance is, I have sinned. I've blown it. The surest sign that God is at work in his life is when he says that and means it. Not that I'm caught. Not that, I, you know, I hate that this has happened. But you take ownership and you say, I've sinned. And God, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. God, I've sinned against my wife or my son or my daughter. I've sinned against those around me. And we take ownership. We don't justify it and say, well, it's because she didn't do what she was supposed to be doing or he didn't do what he was supposed to be doing. But we take ownership and say, you know what? I've sinned. I've broken your word and your law. Anything less is simply sorrow for having made foolish mistakes. A reflex action caused by self-disgust. In other words, we become disgusted that we got caught or it bothers us when we don't really care about how it bothers a holy God. And so that's, that's from December the 7th. That's a great one to read if you're looking for a devotion. Look at what it says here in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, many of you guys may have heard that passage, but to God, you know, God created everything. He spoke everything into existence. And there are times that we wonder, God, what are you waiting on? God, why have you not come back? Don't you see what America looks like? Don't you see what the world looks like? When is Jesus going to step out on the cloud and call his church home? And there's a lot of people that I keep hearing say, man, I just wish Jesus would go ahead and come on back. That's pretty selfish, to be honest with you. Because we want him to go ahead and come get us, but we're not worried about those around us that are lost. And see, there are some of us that we may have family or friends or coworkers that don't know Christ. The Lord isn't really being slow about the promise, his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. See, even whenever you're not even thinking about yourself or you're not thinking about what's best, God is thinking about you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God's desire is that all would be saved. And we're going, man, I wish Jesus would come back, but we got family members that are lost. Man, I wish Jesus would come back, but we got co-workers that are lost. Man, I wish Jesus would hurry up and come back, we got kids that are lost. The Good Shepherd is being patient for you and for me. But what we have a tendency to do is we become complacent. And we stop doing what we ought to be doing. That's going after the lost. Thank God he cares more about us than we care about other people. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
He will forgive us. He will forgive them. But how do they know who to call on if no one's told them the gospel? How do they know who to go to? That's our job. That's the church's job. You know, our job is to, is to repent of our sin. That means to change the way we think about our sin, to repent of our, the way we think about Christ. You know, it's to change the way we think about Him. Like I said, I grew up going to church. I mean, I memorized verses. I would literally have little stars by my name in Sunday school of all the, the scriptures I had memorized. I had all those things. I mean, I would go to vacation Bible school. I, I mean, I knew a lot about Jesus. But I said it earlier, I didn't know him personally until I was 19 years old. And I stood in a service. And I remember going, you know, God, I don't have a relationship with you. I've never been saved. You know, and, and so I walked an aisle and I gave my life to Christ by faith. I was broken over my sin. This past Friday, I celebrated my, my birthday. It was March 5th. 55 years old, you know, double nickels. And I was sitting there going, you know, that's great. But my favorite birthday is my spiritual birthday. Because I was spiritually dead. I was spiritually lost. But whenever I put my faith in Christ, I went from being dead to being alive in Christ. I went from being lost to being saved. And, and so there may be some of you in here that, man, you've been in church your whole life. You know a lot about Jesus. You know that he, you believe he died on the cross. You believe those things. Maybe you're watching online you're thinking the same thing. Man, I've, I believe those things. But it's never affected my life. It's never really brought about any change. I've never had repentance in my life. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Because of religion, lost people often consider themselves not lost. What does that mean? There's people that go, Mike, you know, I go to church every Sunday. Mike, I, I read the Bible. Do you all know that there's people that read the Bible every year just to disprove it? They're not saved. They're lost. But they read the Bible more than most Christians. They read it, they pick it apart, they're trying their best to figure out, hey, how do I disprove this? Now, the cool thing is that a lot of them, the more they read it, the more they end up finding out, you know what, I can't disprove it. It's truth. But the thing is, is we've got to be willing to say, God, man, I don't want to just be religious. See, I was religious for 19 years. I was religious. I was not in a relationship with God by faith in Christ. I was religious. And most people would say that I was a Christian. You know, now, now they, if it depended on where I was at, and if I was at church, they'd probably say, well, he's probably a Christian. I mean, he goes to church, he goes to Sunday school, he's memorizing scriptures. But whenever they got around me in other places, they may go, well, he's not a Christian. And maybe that's the way it is with you. Depends on where you are, depends on what people say. But if we're religious, we can think that we're saved, but we're lost. We're born lost because we have a sin nature. Inherited from Adam and Eve that drives us to rebel against the good shepherd. Nobody ever had to teach me how to sin or to be bad. My parents and other people were always trying to teach me to do the right thing. But you know, I, I, like I said, it came natural to sin, to be selfish, to be greedy, to steal. I shared it before. You know, I remember the very first time I ever stole anything that I can remember. And I, I may have stole something before that, but this is one that really stands out in my memory. And I was, in a, I was in a Western Auto, and I was looking at a Tonka toy little catalog deal that came with the Tonkas. Anybody remember Tonkas? I mean, Tonkas, man, if you had a Tonka, it was like a Cadillac sitting in your yard. That was a big deal to a kid. And, and I would go to certain kids' houses, and they would have those, and I'd be like, man, they're rich, you know, because we were not. I didn't have any of those. And so, anyway, I was looking through a little catalog, and I'm going, hey, there's the bulldozer, and, man, there's the front end loader, and there's the crane, and, all, and just kind of looking through them. And anyway, I, th this thought popped in my head. I was like, won't you sneak that out of here? And so I did. I just kind of pulled it down. I kind of tucked it away, and I eased out of the 
store and I got around to the Super 5 was at Western Auto. I went around to the Super 5 and 10 store where my mom and dad was at. And uh, my mom goes, where did you get that? I said, I found it. And, I, and I'm sure I gave it away with my face. I'm like, I found it, you know, whatever. But anyway, she said, you didn't find that. You stole that. And I was like, I didn't steal it. And I start going and I start just bawling my eyes out. And she's like, you're taking it back. And she marches me over. And I'm crying. And I'm upset. And I stole it, you know, whatever. And, and anyway, I had to tell them that. But the thing is, is I really wasn't upset over the, over the sin of stealing. I was upset over what? Getting caught. I was actually pretty proud of the fact that I had snuck it out of there. It was like, hey, <laughs> I made it, you know. And then boom, you know, there's mama. But it was one of those things where I thought I had hid it. And I'm just telling you, you may think you've got sin hid, but you don't have it hid. God knows how you look at sin and what you think you've got hidden. And so what he's calling us to, he's calling you to repentance. He's calling me to repentance. If I've got sin in my life, he's saying, hey, change the way you think about it. Be broken over it. Turn away from it. And, and think about godly sorrow. And so we were born lost. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. Every one of us in here, I know you think you've got the best kids in the world, but if they've never put their faith in Christ, they're lost. You might say, well, Mike, they come to church all the time and they, they love Jesus. I hope they do. But I'm just telling you, there has to be a spiritual birthday. And there's a lot of people that will go to church their whole life and never have a spiritual birthday. They'll just be religious. The bad news, after everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. God's made it clear. You know what? We've all messed up. We were born with sin running through our veins, man. If we, if we have this flesh stuff hanging on us, we have sin. We will go our own path. We will get off of God's path. But here's the good news. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty for our sins. See, there's a penalty for our sins. In other words, you might, you might think that sin is not a big deal, but there's a penalty for that sin. It's called death. Remember a while ago we talked about spiritually lost. There's also spiritually dead. Separated from God for an eternity. It's a place called hell. And so there's a penalty for our sins. So if we just continue to justify them and embrace them and see how close we get to them, we're not, we're not seeing it the way that God sees it. But there is a penalty for that sin. But God is taking care of that, that sin debt that we have. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus, Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. In other words, it's believing to the point of action. It's faith. Faith in action. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Sin's been there the whole time. For he was looking ahead and including them in what we would, in, in what he would do in this present time. That's talking about the cross, the cross of Christ. God did this to demonstrate his, his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our faith, every, everything is in Jesus. And so when we go back and we talk about repentance, we say, hey, changing the way I think about Jesus. You know, earlier we were singing a song, that last song was about God, you can. And it was believing that God can do whatever. But there's a lot of Christians that don't believe God can do certain things. They don't believe that Jesus can do certain things. And so maybe it's a, one of the things you have to repent of is, God, forgive me. I want to repent of not believing, of not trusting. There may be some of you that you've never put your faith in Christ. You've been religious, you've been involved in church, you've even gone and picked up trash to help out in the community. But man, you've never had a spiritual birthday. You've never been born again. 
Well, today could be that day. This, uh, these next steps, a couple of next steps. Maybe to change the way, change my mind about Jesus, both Jesus and sin, means to repent. Maybe you say, you know what, God, I do want to repent. I want to quit justifying my sin. I want to quit justifying what I'm doing. I want to quit blaming it on other people. God, I want to take ownership. And I want to say, I have sinned. And God, I want to confess that to you. I want to ask you to forgive me. And maybe, maybe for some of you, for the very first time, you realize, you know what, man, I'm real religious, but I've never been reborn. I've never been saved. I've been wandering around lost my whole life. How tragic would it be for someone to spend their whole life going to church only to find out, you know what, I was that close to the truth. And I missed it by about this much. I had head knowledge, but I didn't have heart knowledge of Christ. To change my mind about Jesus and, and, and to change it about sin. To receive Jesus Christ for salvation by faith and be saved. Maybe for you today, that's what you need to do. That's the step you need to take. And it's going, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. I've been trying to do right, do the right thing. I've been trying to earn salvation. And I realize today it's a gift. And I want to receive the gift of salvation that comes from me putting my faith in you, Jesus. And let that be your decision today. And here's the last one. To see the need around me for God's good news. We see the need around us to pick up trash. It's evident. And we ought to be able to look around and see the need for salvation. That there are people that are lost. And there are people that are man, they're, they're notorious sinners. But no one's offering them hope. So God, maybe you put me in their life to offer hope. To teach them what I've learned. To share with them what someone has shared with me. To make disciples of Jesus. I want to ask you if you would just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe for you. Maybe today you realize, man, man, I'm just religious. Maybe the conviction of the Holy Spirit has made it clear to you that you're just religious. You've never been reborn. You've never experienced that rebirth. And just like me, for 19 years, man, I thought I was good. Until one night, the conviction of the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I was lost. And I needed to be found. And so I want to give you an opportunity just to put your faith in Christ. If you're here in the room, if you're watching online, it's really pretty simple. Jesus made it pretty clear, pretty pretty simple for a child to put their faith in Christ, or senior adult. And just with these words, and this literally being from the heart, just saying, Jesus, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I ask you to come in and live within me. I ask you to redeem me. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to repent of that. I want to change the way I think about sin. I want to change the way I think about you. And with all of my heart, with all of my faith, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. And here's the thing, He will. And the Bible says that He gives you a new heart and a new name. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. He writes it with His own blood. The blood of the Lamb. If you just prayed that prayer, man, I would love to know. We would love to be able to celebrate with you. Just like when the Lamb was brought home, He said He wanted to rejoice, right? When the little dog got home, the girl wanted to rejoice. And so if you put your faith in Christ, we want to be able to celebrate with you. See, if you just ask Christ to come into your life, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer with you. I just asked Jesus to come into my life. Anybody in the room? Right here. Man, we celebrate with you, brother. That's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ to come into my life. I've just been saved. 
Maybe you're online and you just prayed that prayer. We want to know, man. Let us know. We want to celebrate with you. This gentleman right here has put his faith in Christ. Man, we all celebrate. We all celebrate. That's awesome. You know, there's a lot of Christians in this room, a lot of believers, a lot of followers of Christ. Maybe God's revealed to you today there's sin that you need to repent of. You're sure about your salvation, but man, you know that you've been, you've been justifying sin. You've been getting as close as you can get to it, and you need to repent of it today. I want to ask you if you would, just raise your hand and say, Mike, that's me. Just for accountability, I see your hand. Anybody else? I see hands all over the place. Man, we, we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to repent and turn to change the way I think about sin and lay it down. Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for these that have raised their hand here. God, just wanting to repent of sin in their life. I, I pray that, God, that they would do business with you right now. I thank you for my brother here, God, the, the lamb that was lost. God, that today the good shepherd brings him home. God, thank you. Woo, thank you. God, thank you for loving us enough to go after us, to chase after us, to go find us, God, when we're lost. God, thank you for that. Thank you I get to be a part of a church that cares about the lost in our community. God, help us to be on mission this week. God, change the way we think. Change the way we look at people to the way you look at them, the way you love them. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Big deal. That's why we're here. It's the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. And listen, if you did make that decision, you say, hey, I don't want to raise my hand. Maybe you're watching online. You can still let us know by texting my decision to 94,000. We want to help you with your next steps. Okay, this isn't where you just accept Jesus and then you want.